Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. On today's episode, I wanted us to consider and think about the reality of miracles. The reality of miracles. I realize that in this society that we live in, uh, we are so used to getting answers from uh, science and scientists and uh, those who claim uh, to purport reasoning and verifying all truth by scientific evidence. But as Christians, we not only embrace the facts or the data of science, but we also need to consider things that are metaphysical. Uh, we also need to look at it, uh, things that are spiritual. And we can truly say that uh, reason Uh, Faith and science can go together. The problem we have is how some people are drawing their conclusion once they look at the evidence. So as Christians, we must look at everything from a Christian worldview, rather a biblical worldview, putting on the lens of Jesus and looking at everything this life has to show us through that paradigm. So today I really wanted us to deal with this subject of miracles. And I believe that if we investigate, read, study our Bibles, God is trying to show us the significance of miracles and how it can impact our lives. For if God rose up Jesus physically, which is one of the greatest uh, miracles that one can conceive of, if that actually happened, which it did, then whatever you're going through, whatever uh, you're struggling with, all we have to do is look at the resurrection, and it can have a great impact on our lives. So to help us with this subject of miracles, I would like to introduce a professor of New Testament Asbury Theological Seminary, uh, Brother Craig Keener. Brother Keener, how are you? I'm doing great, Christian. How, how, how are you doing? I'm doing well by the grace of God. Yes. So, so Brother yes, Keener, yes. So we, again, we thank you for being on Sound Reasoning. And my first question to you is, how should we define a miracle? <clears throat> you know, it's been defined a lot of different ways. Usually, I think when when we speak of it as as Christians, we're thinking of what the New Testament often calls uh, in our translations a sign. Um, The the term that's usually translated miracle in the New Testament are like acts of power, demonstrations of God's power. But we usually think of it especially as a sign pointing to to a reality beyond itself. Um, God is communicating something through through what he does. Now, <clears throat> the way it's often been defined 
in our in our culture when when it's used narrowly uh, rather than like boy uh, they won that game that was a miracle right but when it's used narrowly uh, Hume defined it as a violation of nature <laughs> and so people often think of it as either a violation of nature or something that just can't be explained by by natural means. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, and let's kind of unpackage uh, the quote that you just gave by David Hume. So um, he argued that it's a violation of nature. Uh, as Christians, how should we respond to that? Well, the, the idea that it's a violation of nature, I mean, there were a lot of people who had already defined miracles, uh, including Augustine, as something that transcends uh, nature on its own. But for him to define it as a violation of nature, you know, it sounds like, okay, here are the laws of nature, and God is not allowed to break them. That is just defining away the possibility of a miracle by by redefining God. Nobody in history before that time had ever said that they, they affirmed a God who was bound by the laws of nature. In fact, Isaac Newton and his early followers on, on whom Hume was depending for his idea of miracle, uh, his idea of um, laws of nature, uh, Newton and his early followers believed in miracles, and they explicitly said that the legislator, the lawgiver, wasn't subject to mm. the laws. Mm. And of course, today we don't think in Hume's terms anyway, because uh, even though people have often accepted his conclusion without looking at his argument, today language like laws of nature is usually used descriptively rather than prescriptively anyway. Correct. Correct. Um, my next question is, uh, you've authored a book called Miracles, uh, the credibility of the New Testament accounts. What was the your motivation behind writing this particular book? Well, <clears throat> I was working on my commentary on Acts, which took me a long time. It turned out to be 4,500 pages. Oh, my goodness. But while I was working on the book, I I was dealing just in the introduction about questions of historical reliability. And, um, I, you know, you've done work in historiography. I've, that's uh, where a lot of my work has been. So looking at the historical reliability of Acts, well, 20% of Acts talks about miracles. And something like one-third of of uh, Mark's narrative before you, well, actually half of Mark's narrative before you get to the Passion narrative deals with healings and exorcisms and stilling storms and things like that. So if you're going to deal with historical reliability, that's one of the issues. And many interpreters had just started with the premise, well, we know that miracles don't happen because you have no credible eyewitnesses for miracles. That, of course, goes back to Hume. Uh, Hume argued that, and that's really a circular argument, because you're saying, well, we know miracles don't happen because there's no credible eyewitnesses, so if you do have credible eyewitnesses, well, they can't be correct because miracles don't happen. But in any case, I realized, okay, I know people who are eyewitnesses of some things that are like the things in the Gospels. You can't simply start with the premise that no eyewitnesses claim these things, because eyewitnesses do claim these things. Right. So I said, well, I, I need to um, get some of, some of that material for my 
footnote. And initially, I didn't find what I was looking for, which was just a couple books that collected a lot of medical documentation for healings or, or things like that. Uh, eventually, I did find some of those, but you know, by then the book was a few hundred pages, and <laughs> eventually grew to 1,100 pages by the time it came out. There's just so much. There's just overwhelming evidence. In fact, it's been shown that hundreds of millions of people claim to be eyewitnesses of miracles. Now, nobody, I think, well, I think nobody would say that all of those claims are actually miracles, but you certainly can't start with the premise that you have no eyewitnesses claiming to have seen things like this when you've got hundreds of millions of people claiming to have seen things like this. I don't even think Hume would have tried to make an argument like that if he were making it today. Hmm. So do you believe that uh, some of these detractors are just basically um, biased against uh, anything that's beyond scientific proof? Well, yeah. I mean, scientific proof is is good. I mean, you you, you want to be able, when, when it's possible, to go right. back and, and verify whether something happened or not. Uh, although, you know, as a historian, you know that there are some limits in terms of what we can actually verify. Right. You know, we're, we're dependent on the sources that we have. But the, the problem is the philosophic premise, when you rule out the possibility of divine action, then you've always got to come up with an alternative explanation. Right. And what Hume ended up doing was calling lots of people fools and liars <laughs> because he had no other way to just dismiss a lot of the claims that were already in circulation in his day. Thank you so much for that. Um, you talked about miracles, not just in the Bible, but in your book. Uh, and, I, and I love it how you formatted the book. Uh, you account miracles from different places. What can you give us one example of a contemporary uh, 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 miracle, meaning that it's outside of the Bible, that uh, would be a benefit to our listeners? Oh boy, I have to narrow it down to one. <laughs> uh, you can summarize. <laughs> okay. Well, to summarize, there, there are uh, back around the year two thousand, there was a. a something that emerged from within the China Christian Council, which is affiliated with the Three South Church, suggesting about half of all new conversions in China were due to what they called faith healing experiences from the, from the previous 20 years. And from within the rural areas, it was actually higher. Uh, at least the, the stats that, that I've seen, it's closer to, to 90%. And then in Nepal, it was something like 80% mm. of, um, well, uh, Dr. Balkrishna Sharma from, from Nepal told me something like 80% of their converts are, are due to that. So, yeah, it's, th these are just examples. Right. Uh, and if you want, like, specific concrete examples, I can, I can give you some that I, I know fairly directly. Well, go ahead and, and, and share What's on your heart? Okay. Um, you've got one, one that I, I'd heard of in my own family from my, from my wife, but, you know, she, she just knew it kind of anecdotally because she hadn't been born yet when it happened. So 
uh, I interviewed her her mom, who was the eyewitness there. When Medine's older sister, Therese, was about two years old, she cried out that she was bitten by a snake. Her mother got to her, found her not breathing, strapped her to her back because there was no medical help available in the village, and ran to a nearby village mm. where a family friend, Coco Ngomo Moise, was, was doing ministry. He prayed. Therese started breathing again. The next day she was fine. Mm. I, I asked my mother-in-law how long it was that Therese wasn't breathing, and she had to stop and think about it to get from the one village to the other village. She said it was about three hours. Mm. And then we confirmed it with Coco Moise. I mean, not to doubt your mother-in-law, but... Um, we have a number of accounts like that, uh, a number of them from people that I know firsthand, some of them from doctors. I mean, obviously, it doesn't happen all the time. Anywhere in the world, most people who die stay dead. But some of these are so striking and so dramatic, it doesn't take a whole lot of them to let you know that there's really God acting in the world today. Right, right. And so my question, my next question in, in terms of what you just shared, uh, seems as though um, there's reports in other places uh, outside of the United States of miracles and uh, how much it's impacting the lives of believers. Uh, why is it culturally that uh, so many of us in, in, living in the United States are not reporting as much or not uh, experiencing that reality? I, I think there are multiple factors for that. I think, like my wife, who's from Africa, often says, you know, life in Africa is a miracle. Of course, that's using a broader definition. <laughs> right. But, but there's, a, there's a, a desperate need where you don't have the medical resources that we have here. You know, even even with you know, miracles happening, more often probably in places like that, the maternal and child mortality rate is still so much higher there than here. You know, we, we should be grateful for what mm. we have in terms of medical technology and so on. But having said that, there are also places where people are more likely to experience them, one, because they're more likely to believe them, and two, because they're more likely to believe them, they're more likely to recognize and be grateful for them when they get them mm. here. Sometimes, I mean, I, I know people here when some things have happened, they, they're afraid to tell people about it because they think nobody will believe them. And part of that is the prejudice, the, the hangover from David Hume, uh, who actually a number of major recent works published by Oxford, Cambridge, Cornell, and elsewhere have, challenged uh, Hume's argument on miracles, saying, you know, it's, it's his worst essay. Mm. It's, it's, his, it's not even consistent with his own epistemology, but mm. that's another story. But people have just kind of taken for granted, okay, that was, that was proved. We know miracles don't happen. So, you know, a really neutral starting point would be to say, maybe they happen, maybe they don't. Let's look at the evidence. And when you begin to look at the evidence, the evidence that occurrences like or experiences like those reported in the Gospels and Acts actually occur, that, that evidence is overwhelming. 
Amen. Thank you for sharing that. So in terms of my next question, uh, I, I would like for you to clarify, uh, since we do live in a, a, a skeptical society, <laughs> um, what, how can we determine if an event is a true miracle or not? There are uh, a few different, I guess, a few different questions encompassed in that question, because for one thing, I mean, people, the way God has designed us, people often recover from things. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just, that's a, 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 we might call it natural, but it's a blessing that God has just built in our bodies, you know, uh, nutrition, exercise, certain other things. So it's still God's activity. Uh, if God heals us through doctors, God heals us through medicine, you know, those are still God's blessings. Right. Uh, we can be grateful to them and to, and to God. But um, sometimes there's misdiagnosis involved, and somebody says, okay, well, uh, they told me I had this, and now I don't have it anymore. But, you know, it could have been misdiagnosed. That happens. And sometimes there's fraud. You know, there are all these factors to be considered. So not every claim actually is, you know, verifiably only explicable in terms of divine action. But there there are a number that are. Um, and it doesn't have to be only explicable as divine action to be divine action, but uh, I tried to focus on the ones where, you know, you didn't have other good explanations for it. But having said that, there's also another category, and that is something you actually see in the Bible, uh, like in Acts 8, where you have Simon the, the sorcerer, mm-hmm. who's um, convincing people by his, his his apparent signs. They can't match the signs of Philip, but he's got he's got signs. You have the same thing with Pharaoh's magicians in Acts 7 and 8. So uh, today, there, well, actually, uh, Mark 13, Matthew 24, Revelation 13, Second Thessalonians 2, there, there are a number of passages that talk about false signs and wonders. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, the best way, I think, to discern between true and false in that sense is theological. That is, if we're, if we're asking whether it comes from God or somewhere else, we need to look at whom it glorifies and uh, what message it's really attesting. Because in the New Testament, the signs attest the message of, of God's kingdom in, in Christ. Amen. Amen. Dr. Keener, I really want to thank you for uh, your explanations in regards to miracles and helping our listeners to better understand uh, what miracles are uh, biblically and not what we think they are. And we want to thank you again for being on Sound Reasoning. I really enjoy the dialogue. Um, And thank you again for all the work that you're doing and you continue to do. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's been a privilege to be with you. Thank you. And prayerfully, uh, we'll be able to dialogue again about ministry. Uh, So thank you. That would be great. Amen. Uh, That is Dr. Craig S. Keener. Um, He's the professor of New Testament at Asbury Theological Seminary. And we thank him so much for his contribution to equipping Christians 
Uh, he has a two-volume set called Miracles, the Credibility of the New Testament Accounts, and it's a wonderful book. And one of the things he mentioned uh, that I think we all need to embrace is that miracles are not performed by God as magic tricks. They're not performed by God just for shock and awe. Uh, miracles are performed by God for a greater message. And every time God performs a miracle, it's designed as a signpost to point us to that greater message. If God heals physically, why did he heal? And what message is he trying to convey to us? If God uh, does something through nature and it's phenomenal and we know it's a miracle, why did God do this? Not just for us to be in awe, but God used that miracle event as a signpost for a greater message. So we as Christians must continue to testify. If God does something in your life and we know it's a miracle and science can't explain it, doctors can't explain it, we need to continue to testify. We need to tell others about God's goodness through his power, how the resurrection is affecting us and how the, uh, the resurrection is influencing us. What impact the resurrection, this miraculous event of God raising Jesus up on the third day, this miraculous event is designed and intended for us to tell other people the impact of us being saved and our connection to the residual power that comes from the resurrection. One of the greatest miracles is God creating the universe. Uh, there's no greater miracle than that outside of the resurrection. So we as Christians, we can't be fearful. We can't go underground. We must testify. If the Lord has done something in your life and the Lord is doing something in your life, let us go out and tell other, other people about it. If the Lord heals you physically, tell other people about it. If God is, he has healed you spiritually, which all of us that are saved, uh, the Lord has healed us. It says by his stripes, we are healed. So if we've been delivered, if we've been transformed through God's power, his miraculous power, we must go out and tell others. This concludes the show. Please continue to support us financially and remember to do for the truth what others do for a lie. May the Lord bless you. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. Once in a generation... 
a podcast comes along with the power and eloquence to inspire us all. This show will entertain you while you wait for that one. Join two best friends, author and former history teacher John Driver and comedian Johnny W. for hilarious and authentic conversations about life, history, culture, faith, and everything in between. You can listen to Talk About That wherever you find your podcasts or at lifeaudio.com.